Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about guarding what has been entrusted to you and how you as a man must become a rock for your family. If you are new to the podcast or you just haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you would be so kind as to leave a five-star review. If you want to get into heaven, leave a comment. It is guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening and supporting the Institute of Men. What's going on, gentlemen? Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast. My name is Keaton Tucker. Like I said in the intro, I hope you are doing well today on this. Well, if it's cold where you are, it's cold where I am. I'm in the cold attic. Like I told you last week, I record in the cold attic where there is no heat because it's the space in our house where we have to record. And so it makes things interesting as I sit up here talking to you about becoming the type of man that you want to be. If you're new to the podcast, and as I'm looking at the analytics, it looks like we have a lot of new people. In the last several weeks, ever really since December, the podcast has doubled in listenership, which is amazing to me, and I'm, I'm so I'm very honored. I feel very thankful for that. So if you are new to the podcast and you haven't hit the subscribe button, like I said in the intro, go ahead and hit that, hit that now. But also, if you're new to the podcast, you might not be familiar with where this podcast started and kind of how it came about and the vision that I have. So the short story is when I was young, my dad asked me, what kind of man do you want to be? And I was like, I don't know. And so I set out trying to figure out what kind of man I want to be. And along the way, I came up with this statement, this kind of vision statement called the man I want to be. And on this vision statement, it has several characteristics that I want to be. So the first area came from... uh, Samuel, the first description we hear of David after he is anointed as king, it says he's a man of God, a man of good presence, a man prudent in speech, a man of war, a man of valor, and a man skillful in his craft. That was initially the first time, the kind of man that I wanted to be. And since then, it has expanded to I want to be a man of action. I want to be a man of fortitude. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a builder, a faithful husband, a legendary father, a teacher, a leader, and a saint. And these kind of go throughout stages in, in my life, you know, um, all of my life. I want to be a man of God, a man of good presence, a man prudent in speech, a man of war and a man of valor. All of all of my life. I want to be those in my young years. I want to be a man of action, a man of fortitude, a man of prayer and a builder, a faithful husband and a legendary father. And then once that stage of my life has gone on, then I would like to be have the wisdom to be a teacher, a leader and a saint, and a saint being somebody who imitates Jesus to the best of their ability. They be, ability they become like Jesus uh, in word, in deed, in action, in character. They're able to do what Jesus did. That, those kinds of things. That's what I'm. That's that's kind of that is the man that I want to be. It's a lifelong vision that I've kind of I've tried to orient my life around. 
And one of those, as you heard, is to be a man of valor and a man of war. And today I want to talk about a specific aspect of that, which is the title of this podcast called Guard the Good Deposit that has been entrusted to you. But instead of the good deposit, it's just guard what has been entrusted to you. That comes from a verse that Paul writes to Timothy before Timothy becomes the bishop at the church of Ephesus. He's writing him some instruction. He's a young guy, and he says, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. And while what we're going to be talking about today is not a good deposit, we're not talking about the deposit of faith, but we are talking about what you have been entrusted as a man. God has entrusted you with something very specific, and it is your job to guard what has been entrusted to you. That is one of the unique characteristics of being a man is that God entrusts you with people. God entrusts you with your wife specifically and your children. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And I have been having conversations and hearing conversations with uh, young guys all over the place and and just feeling this great burden, um, especially with the rise of, what's it, what did I call it last week? Red pill masculinity, which is just feminism with, <laughs> it's just fin- feminism for men. <laughs> like all, it's r- literally all our problems come from women who don't respect us. Therefore, we must, you know, teach women to respect us by being red pill masculine. And that's, it's just feminism. And it's kind of funny to me, but what I what I want to help us try to learn, I, I was taught this. I wouldn't say I'm an expert at this. Uh, I want to teach us how, I want to, not teach us, I want to help us figure out how to love our wives. I'm And I'm doing this myself. I'm not, don't think I'm nailing this. Please don't at all. I'm definitely not nailing it. But I have tried to learn from men who have loved their wives well. And I just, at, honestly, I just do what they say. Literally, I don't try to figure, I I don't try to, this is something I don't try to figure out necessarily. I'm just like, I'm just going to do what you say and trust that it worked. And one of the guys we're going to be looking at in the future is John Christostom. He was a church father way long time ago, late 300s. And he wrote some sermon, he wrote a very great sermon on Ephesians 5, which we will be looking at in the future. But I want to focus on this guard what has been entrusted to you first, because I have in the past when I have officiated weddings, I've put this in weddings and I've talked to men a lot about this a lot. And this is, this is actually something I think I do, I do well. I wouldn't say I uh, love my wife as best as I could. I'm def- if you were to ask her, is he romantic? She'd be like, no, not at all. <laughs> I am not romantic at all. I need to step up my game. And my wife would really love it if I stepped up my romance game because she is a romantic at heart. <laughs> but what I, one thing I have done really, really well is guarding my wife. I, like I, I've done that really, really well. And I actually, let me tell you a story about our relationship just so you can kind of get a, a background as to how things kind of went. I'll tell you, it's, it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time, but it's really funny now. So... Uh, I, I think I've shared how me and my wife started dating. If you don't know, I thought she was into me. She was not into me at all. And I told her that, you know, back when I worked in church and was hoping one day to be a pastor, I don't do that anymore, but I had told her, uh, you're before we had even gone on a date. I had said, you're going to have to consider if you want to be a, a pastor's wife. 
And that freaked her out. And two days later, she takes me to have a conversation about this. And she's just like, it freaked me out. I cried. How do you know? How are you so sure? And I didn't know what to say. So I do did what you do in all of those situations. I kissed her. I just laid one on her. <laughs> and um, before we'd even gone on a date, and literally, I'm not kidding, right as I kissed her, a bird pooped on her head. And that was the beginning of our relationship. And then, so we start dating through the summer. This is a 100% true story. We start dating through the summer of, this was, would have been 2019. And I had used a word wrong that I thought meant Christian dating. I thought this word meant Christian dating. And I didn't know that it meant anything other than Christian dating. So I, we're watching the sunset one night at one of my favorite prayer places in Denver, Colorado. And it's just like this beautiful mountain overlook. And and I told her, I was like, I'm so glad we're courting. <laughs> and I, I didn't know. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. I didn't know that courting meant <clears throat> preparing for marriage. Like I literally had no idea. I was just kind of a doofus. And so we, a few days later, we go on a hike and that's what you do in Colorado. You watch sunsets on the mountains and you go hiking in the mountains. And so we go on a hike and the last hour of this hike, she gives me this long lecture about, we need to slow down. I'm about to move to New Mexico to take care of my grandma. We're going to be doing long distance. And it's just like, it feels like it's going so fast and because we've only been dating for like six weeks. And, and she's giving me this whole lecture and the whole time I'm thinking like, I, I don't know what I did. And so I, she you know, finishes her part and I just respond with, I don't think I know what courting means. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I responded to this long lecture I got about slowing down. And anyway, so we get back to her car and she's, she says like, thanks for letting me freak out. And I, I said something to her. I, I, I said, you can freak out as much as you need. I will be a rock as best I can so that you can freak out. And to this day, she said that's one of the most impactful things that I have, I've ever said to her. And at the time, I don't know if I knew what I was saying or what it would entail for our relationship moving forward, but I promised I will be a rock for you. I will be steady. I'll be a place of protection. I'll be a firm foundation as best I can, and I will be able to take a beating if I need to take a beating. And I just said, I will be a rock. I will be steady. Well, fast forward just a little bit. She moves to New Mexico, and we hit a really rough part in our relationship. So she's in New Mexico with her grandmother, and that's its own story. But we ended up having to take a break during that time. We didn't break up. We just took this weird week-long break where she was trying to figure out what was going on in her head. And and then I, you know, I go and see her, and then. Two months later, she ends up, you know, we end up breaking up and that, that was, re- that was really devastating for me because, you know, um, I, I love this girl. I actually skipped an important part of this story. Let me back up real quick before we get to the serious stuff. So she gives me this lecture on a hike about going too fast. Four days later, not five, not three, four days later, we're in Fort Collins, Colorado we are over, there's this big reservoir up there called Horse 2 Reservoir, and the sun sets over that, and it's really beautiful, and me and my brother are up there with his girlfriend, now his wife, we're doing like a double date, and the sun is setting, and this girl, my wife, before we were married, four days 
after she told me we need to slow down, looks at me and says, I think I'm falling in love with you. <laughs> oh, four days. Okay. I was like, I love you too. And so fast forward. Now we'll go back to the serious stuff. So we end up breaking up. And so I'm like devastated. And, um, after a month, I decide, you know, I'm I'm actually going to come down to see you in New Mexico. I want to go on a date, and I just want I want to. I was I basically didn't give her a choice. I was like, we're getting back together, and so I went down to see her. I take her on a date, and I then, you know, am like, all right, I'm going to go home tomorrow. I'm, you know, I'm at my hotel. I'm gonna I'm gonna go home tomorrow, and. The next morning I wake up and I'm starting to pack up my bags and, you know, she had work and, you know, I'm we're in separate places. I'm just like, all right, that was great. We'll see where this goes from here. And she sh- shoots me a text that says, I, I kind of want you to stay for one more day. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. That's cool. So uh, I, you know, stay for another day. I go hang out with her grandma and, I, and she comes home and she is livid at me. For staying another day and playing games with her grandma. She's livid. She's livid that I actually took her serious and stayed home. Or, excuse me, that stayed home, but stayed, you know, in New Mexico for another day. And so we, like, talk through it. And I'm like, I'm, li- I'm just doing what you asked me to do. You asked me to stay another day. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go home tomorrow. That'll be fine. And so the next day I start, this is actually on Thanksgiving. I start driving home. And she shoots me a text or I text her like, hey, I made it to Las Vegas, New Mexico. That's the halfway point. And just wanted to let you know I'm safe. The snow, I got through the snow because it was snowing. And she thumbs down that text. And I was like, why don't you like that? And she's, I wish you were staying another day. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I go to, I go and sit in a McDonald's and I tell her, (laughs) I'm like, I will sit here, but you have to ask me to come back because I'm not just going to drive back. And I sat there for two hours while she ignored that text message. So I got in my car and I drove home and I I just drove home. And then she started to call, you know, I'm still very much in love with this girl and I want her best. I want to be with her and we're still broken up. And, but she's talking, she's, we start talking on the phone at night, but she's talking to me like I'm her boyfriend or, and, but she doesn't want to get back together. And so I told her, I was like, I'm going to give you 30 days and we're not going to talk. And I need you to figure out if you want to be with me or not. I need you to figure that out. And that was the, that was, it. we only made it 23 days. She, she actually called me and said, you know, I want to get back together. Please come see me on Christmas. And I was like, I can't do Christmas. I'll come down for new year's. I come down for new year's. We get back together and decide we want to get married. And then we got engaged uh, on March 1st, like two two months later, right before the world shut down. Then we got married in 2020. (laughs) What a story. That's the um, less funny version and the much shorter version. The longer version is hilarious. Now, it wasn't at the time. It was actually one of the most difficult things that I had ever done. But I knew, I knew, I knew because of what she was going through in New Mexico that it was my job not to focus on me. It was my duty to not focus on me and to do everything to get her through that season, whether or not we ended up together. I just, I just knew it. And I learned during that time that it was my job to guard this woman who, even though we had not been married, but for a time had been entrusted to me. Now she's been entrusted to me for my entire life because we're married. And I learned things in, in our rock, our dating relationship was, 
pretty rocky and we've in the first few months of our marriage was relatively rocky because she had to move away from her grandmother and there's just stuff that goes with that and it's been pretty smooth ever since but I I learned that it, it is my job my job to guard my wife not and that that that's going to be one of my number one jobs and so I want to I want to talk to you guys tonight about guarding your wife and the first, and I, so I'm going to give you some just some stuff that I have learned, and we'll get to the wise men later. So if this doesn't resonate with you at all, that's fine. That's fine. I understand. But the first thing that you need to do if you're going to guard your wife, if you're going to guard what has been entrusted to you, and we're going to talk about children in a little bit. First thing you need to do is you need to start guarding yourself, dude. You need to watch what's going into your mind and going into your heart. You, you need to quit watching junk. You need one. If you're watching porn, you got to stop. One, it's sapping your strength. It's vile. It's evil. You need to stop. But there's also other junk that you don't need to be putting in your mind. You don't need to be sitting around watching football all Saturday and all Sunday. You need to. You don't need to be watching binge watching Netflix at night. You don't need to be binge watching YouTube clips and podcast clips of success gurus and hustle gurus and grind bros and you don't need to be watching that stuff that's not making you into a godly man it's not turning into a man at all you're just consuming and it's filling your mind with junk and it it is actually not strengthening you for what life is actually going to throw at you if you get married and have kids at all hustle culture is not conducive to family life it's not at all it's not conducive to loving your wife well. It's not conducive to raising godly kids. It is not conducive to the hard knocks of life. And it actually, it's not even, it's not really even godly. Hustle culture is all about the ego. It's about selfishness. It's about gain. And it's about feeling powerful so that you can say, look at me. And it, and it really is. And I've said this before on the podcast. You can go Google any of the hustle culture guys on YouTube. Just Google them. All the success motivation people, all of them ruined their marriages. Every single one ruined their marriages. And so you, you've you got to stop. If you want to be able to guard your wife, who has been entrusted to you, she has been. And if you're not married yet, one day you will have a woman who has been entrusted to you. And it's a sacred gift as a man to be entrusted with the life of another person. You need to start preparing for that. And if you're married now, you need to start acting and and like you're in charge of guarding. Like one of your tasks is guarding somebody who's been entrusted to you by take learning to guard yourself. You need to take captive those thoughts. If you are, how do I want to say this? If you have arguments in your mind with every person that you encounter. Which is that's actually something that I freak, frequently happens to me. I, I've I've never lost an argument in my mind. I have arguments like like you wouldn't believe. I've never lost an argument in my mind, and it makes me prideful and arrogant. And it when when my mind is captivated to these arguments that aren't real, it actually affects my wife because I'm zoned out, and then I get myself all riled up against something for something that's not actually happening. And then when I have a real conversation, that imaginary conversation comes out in my voice. It comes out against my wife. And she's like, well, what did I do? I'm like, oh, I'm just having a bad day. She's like, what happened? I was like, oh, literally nothing. I'm just arguing in my mind with about something that has never, ever, ever happened and never will happen. 
You got to be careful with what goes on in your head because that is going to come across in your wife. And I've got a, a tip for you on how to learn how to guard yourself. Uh, you know, get rid of your junk. You know, start strengthening your mind. We talked about how to self-educate last week. That will strengthen your mind. Prayer, of course. But more, I think this has worked for me more than anything. It's sitting in silence. Sit in silence for 30 minutes at a time. Don't read. Don't look at your phone. Just sit there and see what surfaces. Learning to sit with yourself, I think it was Pascal, I think, who said all the world's problems could be fixed if men could sit in a room by themselves for 30 minutes. I think it was Pascal who said that. You can Google it and correct me on it. When you, It's very difficult to sit in silence for 30 minutes with no stimulation and nothing to do because your mind is free to bring up all that stuff that you've either ignored or you've let fester or those roots of bitterness that have gotten in there and has defiled you. That's what roots of bitterness do. They come and they defile you. Silence lets you see what's actually in you. And if you sit there long enough, you're going to have to confront the dark stuff that leaks out onto the people you love most, especially your wife. And then you can deal with it. So by learning to guard yourself, by taking care of yourself, by noticing what's already in you and then getting it out of you, that's going to be the first way you guard your wife because you have to guard your wife from, from you from from who you aren't yet. And it, each of us has something in us that we don't want in there, or maybe we do want it in there, but it shouldn't be there. It's not godly. It's not saint-like. It's not Christ-like for sure. And we need to get it out of us, but the only way we're going to be able to get it out of us if, is if we are fully aware that it's there in silence. I have found silence for extended periods of time is the best way to find out what is inside of you because you can't hide from yourself. You can hide from yourself through stimulation through, you know, that's probably why one of the reasons we all watch YouTube so much and have constant noise in our ears or something in front of our eyes is because then we don't, we, we don't have to worry about anything else. We don't have to, we definitely don't have to deal with our stuff. And when you start to deal with your stuff, you know, that stuff that defiles you, that stuff that Jesus talked about from out of the heart come evil thoughts. When you start to deal with that, when, you've, when you're willing to confront that stuff, then you can start to protect your wife. Okay. So the other thing that I have learned to guard your wife is you have to do everything that you can to guard your wife's heart. Guard your wife's heart. Now, I know that's cute and kitschy and they're like, oh, I just want, I'm just, just guard my heart. Now, that's not a, that's, <laughs> it's cute and kitschy, but. It's actually a lot of it's a lot of hard work uh, because the heart is the center of a person. It's it's kind of it's their center. It's their mind, will, and emotions, and it takes a lot of it. It's not exactly easy to do, but it's your job to guard your wife's heart. You know, your job is not just to protect your wife physically, though. In this day and age, you should be able to. You should be able to guard your wife physically. You don't need to be the best fighter in the world, but you probably need to know how to handle yourself because the world's getting a little crazy. It's always been kind of crazy, but it's the curtain's being pulled back. But the best way that you can actually protect your wife, guard her heart, is with your mouth. And you might be like, no, Keaton, don't you mean like prayer? I'm like, no, I, no, I, actually, I mean your mouth. Uh, you should pray for her. Absolutely, you should pray for her because God, God's going to guard her any guard. You know, he takes care of everything anyway, but 
as a husband or as a aspiring husband, the best way you're going to protect your wife is with your mouth. So first you need to protect her from your words. So this comes back to what we talked about before, but you need to guard her from your words. A man can be harsh. He can be aggressive and he can be brutal with his words. And when you combine that with the loudness of your voice, because your voice is naturally louder, uh, with the intimidation of your bodily strength, we've talked about in the past, uh, get strong, you defender of life in that episode, how men, just their sheer presence makes women feel safe, but it can also make them feel intimidated if you're angry, aggressive, and your voice is loud. The intimidation of your voice, of your bodily strength, can, and your words, when you combine those three, can frighten a woman. And they can cut deep. They can leave spiritual bruises, emotional bruises, and I, I hope to God not physical bruises. Don't do that. But you need to say, like, your words, when you retaliate, when you aggressively attack her, when you're fed up and you just raise your voice and you rip through her and she's your nearest target, or even if it's not even directed at her, you're not you're not guarding her heart. Actually, you're making her t- frightened of you. And you as a man, you need to know what that power that you have with your voice and your bodily strength and the combination of words and how those all tie together. You need to know that that is intimidating. It can be used for good. I think it should be used for good and it should be used to protect, but it can also, if it's not used properly, does not guard your wife's heart. If you're striving to be a man of God, you need to put to death your need to retaliate towards your wife. And I'd be willing to bet most of the time that you get aggressive with your wife is from retaliation. You will let something fester. You let some bitterness get in. You had imaginary arguments and you just couldn't take it anymore and you blew up. She said the wrong thing and you retaliated. I'd be, I'd be willing to bet that's, that's what happens. And the reason I'd be willing to bet is because, well, I've done it uh, to my shame and I've watched other men do it. They just get fed up and they find, they've just finally had it because they weren't willing to deal with something earlier and they retaliate. And that, that's not that's not what men of God do. Men of God do not retaliate. And you might be like, well, but Keaton, she nags. Ugh, she nags me or she complains or she doesn't submit to me. I'm like, hey, man. Hey, her not doing what a good woman should do is not permission for you to not do what God commands you to do. Maybe she nags because you haven't been paying attention to her. Or maybe she nags because that's her heart problem. But either way, that doesn't give you permission to not do what God has asked you to do in being a good husband. Other people's behavior does not give you permission to behave ungodly in an ungodly way. It just doesn't. You have to take some responsibility for yourself in how you treat your wife, despite how you treat her. I actually know a guy who his his wife's absolutely brutal to him, and uh, you know he's he's got his own fair share of problems. But you know what's one thing that amazes me about this man is he is one of the best servants for his wife that I've ever seen. One of the best. I, 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 I don't know how he does it because his, his wife is absolutely brutal to him. 
and it, it's it's inspiring to me because he he's a the a great example of I have to do what God has asked me to do, regardless of there not being any reciprocity in this relationship. And so, yeah, you, you know, she might nag, she might submit to you. You're not going to get her to submit to you, by the way, by being aggressive and intimidating. That's not just, you're not going to get it. You're not, you might get begrudging submission, but you're not going to get loving submission. You can't actually force your wife to submit to you. She has to do that of her own will and volition. Just like she can't get you to love her by nagging you. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. You have to do what God has asked you to do. You know, when we're going to get to the John Chrysostom sermon on Ephesians 5, you know, in, a, in several weeks, whenever I decide, you know, this is the time for this series. But he says the exact same thing in his sermon. He says, it doesn't matter if she doesn't do what God has asked her to do. You do what God has asked you to do. That's just, that's also a general life principle. John 21, you know, after Jesus restores Peter and, you know, he tells him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He gives him his special assignment and his, 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 his role. He reestablishes Peter's role. And John turns to him, to Jesus and points to John and he says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. And that's a, that's a good life principle. That's a good marriage principle. Not what about them? What about you? You follow Jesus. You do what Jesus has said. You do what God has asked you to do as a husband. No matter if she's not reciprocating, you that does not give you permission to be aggressive with your words. So you need to protect her from your words. The other way you protect her with your mouth is by using that mouth for good, and it's by using encouraging words. If you were to go to read Ephesians 5, it says that a man is to love his wife and to wash her with the word and, and with like with water and to present her clean and in splendor and to build her up into all that she could be. That, that's your job. And that comes primarily through, it's going to become through your words. That strength of your voice and that strength of your spirit that naturally resides in you, when it comes across in the words you use with a confidence of I, I'm willing your good, that's what charity means, by the way. The best word for love in the New Testament for agape is, is going to be, the best English word is going to be charity because charity means goodwill towards another. You, you're willing their good. That's going to come through your words. That same strength, that same spirit that resides in you, when it comes across in your words, that's going to strengthen her and build her up. And it's going to protect her because the devil and his minions and the rest of the world is coming for your wife's mind, is coming for her heart. It's when, this, this is just something we, maybe we overlook, when, when Satan wanted to tempt Adam and Eve, he didn't go to Adam. He didn't go to Adam. He went to Eve. He went to Eve. And that's why that's the same the example that Paul uses in Timothy when he talks about the authority between a man and a wife. He says it's because Eve was deceived first. And it's and it's because Satan goes if he's gonna get to you, he's gonna go through your wife. He's gonna go not because he hates women more than he hates men, it's probably because he hates men more. And when you want to destroy somebody, you go after the thing they love the most. And a man who loves his wife the most, his wife is going to be more susceptible to the lies of the devil and his minions and the world. And it, it is on you 
not not a hundred percent on you, but it is your responsibility to be aware of that battle for her mind, her soul, her heart, and to actively combat it with your words. So if you you can e- you're either participating with the devil or you're or you're fighting actively fighting against him by your words. That's that's a heavy weight to carry, and it, it's something that you and I we need to be aware of every single day when we're that so that we're using our words properly that we're not you know joining in forces of evil that are coming for your wife and i promise you if the if the if the devil's coming for you he's going to try to go for your wife especially if you're a man of prayer if you're kind of if you're not a man of prayer if you're not if you're not you know active in the spiritual realm like if you're not actively trying to grow spiritually well the devil will probably leave both of you alone and let you have your comforts but if you're actively trying to pursue God, I, pr- I promise you he's coming for your wife. I, I can assure you. And you need to be on your guard and, and, be, and be active, actively guarding your wife's heart with your words and combating every lie that comes her way. Whether it's from the world, whether it's from the devil and his minions, whether it's just from her own circumstances. Now, does she have her own part to play too? Absolutely. 100%. Then, man, you, you can't leave her to fight alone. And you definitely should not be participating with the evil that would come against your wife. The other thing that you need to be doing if you want to protect your wife is you need to be willing to take a beating. We talked about that earlier. Protectors take a beating. That's what they do. If you think, imagine like you get you your. Uh, well, that's the only example I can think of. Imagine you you see a bar fight break out, and you or you see one of those videos on Twitter where or X I should say where fights break out there's always that one person who jumps over the person on the ground and protects them they cover their head and they just take a beating they take a beating they take a beating so that the other person doesn't get hurt you as a man need to be willing to take a beating protectors take a beating it might be internal because you don't get to use the words you want to use and so you end up in a fight with yourself not to say the words that you want to use to retaliate it might be verbal from your wife. It might be verbal from somebody else. It m- Take the beating. Be a rock for your wife. Be a rock. That's your job as a man. Only, you're, only you as a man can do it. Only you as her husband can do it. God has entrusted that duty to you. And I do believe, I, gentlemen, I, like, I believe that you are fully capable of doing it. You, like God has gifted men to be the protectors of life. He has. Women are the givers of life. All life comes from women, and all of life is protected by men. All of life, and it's not just physical, and I believe that you can do it. So if you're willing to take a beating and you can get your words under control and quit putting junk in your mind, you will set yourself up to be able to guard your wife's heart well. The other thing that you need to be able to guard is your children. And there's two things I want to talk to you about, about about your children in the modern world that you need to be aware of. So ever since 2020, the school system has become very apparent uh, to parents. And the number of homeschool children in the nation has gone from about 1% to 7%. It's 5 million children are now homeschooled. And you can assume, I think it's safe to assume, and I'm sure we could look this up statistically, but I think it's safe to assume that of the children that are homeschooled, most of them are not in high school which means of the 5 million children being homeschooled, they're probably elementary or younger. And that, I mean, that's a serious consideration that we're, we are thinking. We're, they're definitely not going to a state school at this time unless something drastically changes. Because I see videos on my X feed, and X is real life. 
it, like it, it just is. It's videos of real life of kids just beating each other to a pulp. Literally every single day I wa- I see a video of a kid getting jumped. Every, every literally every single day. Doesn't matter if it's a boy, it's a boy or a girl. I see it, and they're like there's eight year olds, eleven year olds. I see it every single day. But there's this other thing happening in schools that you need to be aware of uh, that stems from DEI, which is the diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense that you've probably heard. But it's not called DEI in elementary schools. It's called social emotional learning, and it is child manipulation. So if you you're married and you have had you've been graced with children, you are you have been entrusted for a time with the guarding and raising of those children. Just like Jesus was entrusted to Joseph and Mary, God has entrusted you with children that he hopes to call his should they you know, continue in the faith for their whole life. But for a while, they are under your guard. They are in your faith. They, you know, what is yours is passed to them. And that, that they are your responsibility. And this thing, emotional social learning, is child manipulation, and it is set up, it is structured to take advantage of the, uh, what, do I don't want to use the word na- naivety, uh, the innocence of children. That's the word I want to use. It is set up to take advantage of the innocence of children. And if you look up, if you go to like your state website and look up social emotional learning, read the first paragraph, it sounds pretty good. Then get into the details and you will start to realize that it is, that it's child manipulation. It will teach children how to properly emotionally respond to all of their friends being gay or being transgender or having two mommies or not being white. It will actually force white children to feel an immense amount of guilt for their privilege. You go, go read it. It's child manipulation and it is dangerous. And you've got to protect your kids from it. You're, when you take your kids to school, whatever school that you take them to, you are entrusting that your your kids who've been entrusted to you to teachers, and you need to pay careful attention to what they are teaching you. That's how Glenn Youngkin won the Virginia uh, governorship, by the way, is because he the other guy who was running against, I forget his name, said parents shouldn't be in charge of their children's education, which is false. That's absolutely false. You as their father and and your wife, you are their primary teachers. You, they've been entrusted to you. They're your children. They're your offspring. They're your DNA. And you, so you need to be aware. If this stuff is happening to your child, I can promise you it will ruin your child. And you need to be aware of it. Now, the other thing I want to talk to you about, um, if you are a woman, a mother who is listening to this podcast right now, I'm going to go ahead and ask that you uh, just turn off the podcast. Thank you for listening because we're going to, we're going to talk about the the most horrendous story I think I've ever read uh, on the internet um, that involves children. So if you're a mom and and you've got a sensitive heart, I am going to ask that you, you just turn this off. Don't listen to this next portion. This is just for the guys to know and to be aware of some stuff happening in our world. Um, But thank you for listening. All right, gentlemen and ladies who didn't take the warning and they're just going to listen anyway. Uh, you you need to keep a careful watch on your kids and who they're around, and because the America is is no longer the safe nation that it was, and the curtain has been pulled back, and every day something horrible happens to kids, 
You know, I talked about the kids getting beat up, but this is one of the most horrendous stories that I have ever heard. And, um, I, I, I don't know what kind of justice will make this right. Nothing will ever make this right. Um, I know that Jesus said, if you cause, if you harm children, if you cause another child to sin, if you harm children, that it would be better for you to just go ahead and tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean. Several weeks ago, um, uh, well, actually just last week is when this story posted January 12th. Uh, I'm just going to read you the title of this. And this, this is gruesome toddlers, two toddlers were gang raped in Texas in a Texas small bathroom because their moms couldn't afford childcare and entrusted them to a coworker named Arthur Hector Fernandez. And it wasn't just this one guy. It was actually, um, this guy and I believe six of his friends. Let me scroll through this story real quick and see if I can find it. Yeah. Six guys. I think is um, took these two toddlers into a bathroom. Six six grown men. And they took these toddlers, their kids, my daughter's age, and gang raped them, and videotaped it, and then put it online. and And they'll be going to jail forever. But you hear a story like that, and you have to you have to know that your child is in danger beyond at any time that you're not around. Now you can't protect, you could drive yourself mad trying to protect them from everything. You absolutely could. And you can't protect them from everything, but you can protect them from most things by, by being aware of how dangerous our world has become. Toddlers just in, this is a guy they knew at work. It was a guy they, it's a guy they probably trusted who turned out to be vile and evil. And the, their kids suffered the consequences of it. You know, when I in Colorado, where I where I used to live, I live in uh, New England now. Uh, there was a mall, Park Meadows Mall, near Highlands Ranch, and Highlands Ranch was uh, not. I don't know how secret it was, but it was like where all the swingers lived. People who just like, you know, had open marriages with all their neighbors. Super weird. But over in that area was also. Uh, it was one of the most highly trafficked malls in the country. Human traffickers would go in and take girls from this mall. They would trap them at this mall and and ship them off, and they'd disappear forever. It was one of the hot spots of the nation. Was was this mall? And people knew. And I would when every time we would go there as a family, I'd see t- teenage girls, middle school girls, walking around by themselves with their without their parents in sight. And Maybe 10 to 20 years ago, that was fine. Maybe. But we're, we live in a world now where, where it's not. You know, I traveled to Europe several years ago, and you could tell where the human traffickers were. They were very easy to spot, and they were just standing in the street. You know, and Europe is probably 10 to 20 years ahead of Amer- where America is heading where it comes to just these uncivilized men standing in the street and you can tell they're traffickers. You can tell. It's the easiest thing in the world to tell that they're traffickers. They're all pretending to sell stuff. There's women close by. When you walk past their booth, they change what they're saying. They say little secret words that have have to do with purchasing sex. And those a lot of those women, who, who knows where they came from? 
but you as a man, like you, you're going to have to guard your wife and you, you have to guard your children because we don't live in a safe world anymore. It may have never been safe. Maybe, it, maybe it's just naive to think it was, it was, you know, safe, but it, it's, it's not, it's not. And maybe one day it will be. I actually, I have a lot of hope that in the future it will be, which is an episode I'm going to be doing on, uh, having children and the inevitability of a Christian future. But, um, cause all the secularists and atheists and, and wokesters aren't having kids and, and the dinks, the dinks aren't having kids. We'll talk about them too, but I know this is a serious topic, but it's, it's, you, you can't read a story like that. You can't see videos of kids getting beat every single day by their peers. And you can't know about human trafficking in the United States of America and not keep a guard on your kids. And so if you're, if you're spending all your time in hustle culture, if you're spending all your time in your own thing and not keeping a guard over your house, if you're not presiding over your house, if you're not doing what you can to guard and build up your wife and then being aware of who's around your kids and what's going into their mind, if you're not doing, if you're not guarding what has been entrusted to you, now is the time to start. Now's the time to start because God has entrusted men with the defense of life. And it's time that you and I start taking that role that call, that assignment, that mandate as serious as we possibly can. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Institute of Men podcast. My name is Keaton Tucker. Again, please like and subscribe to this podcast so that you can get the notifications. I hope you have a blessed night. And until next time, this is the Institute of Men podcast.